Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. I have a special guest today, Adam Scorgi. Uh, he has an amazing film ground, primarily growing up in BC. Um, he was inspired and moved to New York City, where he spent almost three years studying film and television at the renowned Williams Esper Studios in Manhattan. Upon his return to Canada, Adam invested every dollar he had to produce his first featured documentary, The Union, the business behind Getting High. The Union exceeded all expectations by being selected to 33 film festivals, where it won several Best Featured Film uh, Featured Documentary Awards. The success of the union demanded a follow-up, which led to the uh, crowd-funded sequel, The Cultural High, which I actually backed. Um, upon requesting in 2012, the film, which focused on the war on drugs, would go on to uh, screens for government officials in Canada's Parliament Hill uh, during the country's preliminary steps to legalize marijuana nationwide. Adam was very fortunate to be a two-time guest on the Joe Rogan Show uh, to talk about the impact of both films. To date, Adam has produced 10 featured films with two features currently in post-production, including Inmate Number 1, The Rise of Danny Trejo, and Bisping, an in-depth look at the life of UFC legend Michael Bisping. His leadership and loyalty to his team has ensured that his uh, future films guaranteed to impress and inspire those who watch it. So without any further <laughs> without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Adam Scorgi. Hey. Hey. Well, thank you so much, hey. brother. Thank you for Take being here. I know. Oh, We're buddy. able to connect through time Thanks and space. Yeah, of course, man. Where you at? I see I see you're highly mobile at the moment. Where you where are you calling in from? Well, I had to have my my wife's out of town right now with mm. my oldest daughter. So the boys have private kickboxing lessons because they can't I go to regular gyms right now, so I drop them off and I'm mm. working in the car. So that's what we have to do. We multitask and we just get it done, right? We figure it out. So that is uh, where I'm calling from. Hey, and thank you very much for Beautiful, backing man. the yeah, yeah. by the way. That's very cool. Yeah, it was funny. I was, I was reading to the bio. I was like, I remember backing that back in the day because it was so inspired by the union. It was like, oh, my God, people need to know about this. And when I saw that, I was like, I, you know, have to – because you want to support people that make content that you love. And, you know, we, there, it, it wasn't, you know, back in the day, you had to find creative ways to, to make films happen. I mean, as you know, the cost of making films. So um, it's, you've kind of gone along that path. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting because yeah. when I went on, I went on Joe's around that time when Culture Eye was coming because I'd done research on, that's before crowdfunding became a term. And before, when you mm. used to have to get on Kickstarter, you used to have to get invited. You couldn't just go and submit a project and see, like it used to be like an invite of creative people to go on there. And and I was trying mm. to figure out a way to go on there. And I was messaging all the people. I'm like, hey, do you have an invite left? And they're like, no. So then I, you know, this is the producer in me or the creative hustler. Mm. I, I started figuring out, I'm like, I started Googling. I'm like, well, who created Kickstarter then? And I found out the creators and then I found out their emails. And then I personally emailed all of them and said, hey, I look, here's what I've done. I'm trying to do something else in the creative space. I think this is a great, uh, like I've, I've looked for a tool like this. You guys are ahead of the curve. And then yeah, Andy Bao, I think is a guy's name. He created a whole bunch of like, I think he worked on Amazon, some other things too. He was like, here you go, man, fire at her. So then, and now Kickstarter, like now it's funny because for a while the culture high was like, 
I think it was in the top five for film and television projects that were funded in Kickstarter. Now it's probably not even in the top 100, but mm -hmm. when it did at the time to do a quarter million dollars in 42 days was a big thing. And I like, I had all these Kickstarter people saying, Hey, we're about to launch it. And our crowdfunding consultant and our crowdfunding, I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. You've hired a crowdfunding consultant and then you're calling me to get free advice. Like, I mean, if you're paying somebody <laughs> like, like, but none of that was there. Like I yeah. just used the internet. You know, I just knew that we had a big enough following with the union. My team and I mm. knew we're like, if we tap into all these people and this is when the internet was wild west and was free. Like you would hit your target audience when you put stuff out there. You didn't have to pay for ads. You didn't have to, like when we released the culture high campaign video, it went for like everybody in the marijuana community, like our, our executive producer, Bianca Barnhill had worked with, uh, high times for years and she's the one that lined up Snoop Dogg's interview and Wiz and Be Real from Cypress Hill and she was like Adam I can't open the internet without seeing something about the culture I right now you guys are <laughs> everywhere in the Canada space like so it was it was really cool we had an idea and we believed mm. it people thought we were nuts they're like you're gonna because originally our goal was 190,000 people are like mm. you think you're gonna get $190,000 for this and we're like I was like, I think we're going to overfund actually. Mm. So we did. And it, it hit the zeitgeist. And we, I timed it though, because when you start, when right when it starts exhausting people and it's out too much, mm. I read some of the stuff of how the stats go right after two weeks, it'll start to tail off if you don't have. And that's when I timed it. Joe and I were talking about when I should come on. And I was like, hold off. Like if he's like, what about this date? I'm like, that'd be perfect. If we launch on this day, that'll be two weeks. And by then it'll start to go down. And then it just went like this. And I remember people commenting, be like, I'd never even heard of Kickstarter or crowdfunding until Joe Rogan's podcast and we talked about it, right? And it just skyrocketed it to a whole new level. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that it, it I mean, it, there was such a need for it and such a value, which what was incredible to me is, so I watched the union last night to kind of prep for this because it's been a little while since I watched it. I remember how it was, but as we go through it and I mean, the culture, I, it was, it was, it, it was, you know, it came after the union. And what I thought was so incredible is everything that you talked about in the union about this doesn't make sense. Why is this illegal? Think about all like, look at this underground industry going on. Everything is happening. And so many things that you wanted to happen has kind of in like the last 10 years come true. Like the, like the, the culture has adopted it. It's become mainstream. Uh, governments taxed it. They've seen the value of it. You've seen all of the actual side effects. People aren't running crazy down the streets. It's actually benefiting society in a lot of ways. And, but that at the time, like you had to secretly, you know, go into like backroom bunkers to try to, you know, put on those blackout glasses to go into, you know, seedy places. And like today I'm seeing my friends farms that have, you know, you know, giant areas that are just open. So um, I have two questions on that. One, what was the genesis for the, for the union and starting that out? Like, cause that was a, that was a very well constructed and, and beautiful thing. And the second piece of the genesis is how does it feel to actually create that and actually be on a mission to say, this doesn't make sense. We should do something about it. And then 10 years later to actually have that mission more or less come true it's uh it's crazy well the, the, the genesis of how it started was that yeah. you know when i i was going to film school in new york and i'd come back and this is really when docs were kind of hitting the mainstream because digital was now a possibility to make documentaries mm. 
you know, more possible to do because back when you had to use film and you had like, they just, they were so expensive and to do them was just, unless they were a national geographic documentary, something they were tough. So you were seeing these in New York. I was seeing like supersize me and bowling for Columbine and like mm-hmm. people going to the theater to see a documentary. Like when I grew up, you didn't go to the theater to see a documentary unless it was like an IMAX world yeah. national geographic thing. Right. So, um, when I came back, I was looking for something to to do in the film space, and then docs were hot. And I grew up around that culture in BC, so I was like, "Man, I'm I can get access to these things. I can get us in there and look at it." And originally, I thought I'd do it more of like a supersize me thing. I didn't think it would be this, you know, this thing that would end up being this like worldwide cult classic that's now in like cannabis museums and stuff. They have things for the union about how it, how that could arguably be the one that changed the shift in the way people thought about cannabis culture. Right. It really, and that's all a fluke. Like we, we obviously like we, you know, we, 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 we made a great film that we we stuck. That was true. And we, we stayed honest because none of us were activists. We were just filmmakers, Mm. right. That went into this eyes wide shut and had our world thrown upside down. And as you said, it's interesting when you watch the union, because we talk about the media manipulating thing, Mm -hmm. manipulating things. And you're kind of seeing that now with COVID, right. Of how the media will bend it one way or the other, right. When really it's kind of down the middle with what's going on. Right. But it's just, you see how when we talk about yellow, yellow journalism that was used back then and how there was no way to fact check it, right? Like the guy that came on your evening news and said, this is this, you're like, man, that guy knows he's on yeah. the news, right? Like, and even to go try to find studies, like you couldn't go to Google. You had to actually go to like, hey, where's my, you know, let's go to the UCLA library. Let's see what kind of medical studies they have. Let's pull those from the archives. Like who was doing that? Nobody. Yeah. So and then now to see where the unions come, where like, it, like I mean, both the union and the culture I were invited to Canada Parliament Hill by the Liberals, which now legalized it in 2018. Both films were used as the catalyst to change. And the way that that happened, right? And this is what we talk about in the culture, is it comes from the ground up, not the top mm-hmm. down, right? Is that Adam, we seem to have some technical difficulties for a hot beat there. I'm not too sure what's going on, but we got drop. Am I, we back now live? Okay. For some reason, I don't know what, if we went through a dark hole or or whatever in that moment, but we lost you for a beat. One thing, the last thing, last one, I'll just take care of, and we'll, we'll, we'll stitch this thing together. But the last thing you're talking about was with the parliament actually using your documentaries as an educational film and talking about going from the bottom up. Um, and it's really interesting how you're talking about that is that you can never, you can never force, well, you could, but you can never force people to make a change, but you can inspire them to want to, to, to shift 
their mindset and what they do. And that parliament thing, instead of saying, you have to do this, instead of, as we might do in the US, storm our capital and, yeah. and knock down the place, right? We, yeah. You actually said, hey, does this make sense? Why does this, does this make sense? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So what do you want to do about it? This is going to happen. This isn't going away. It's ineffective. It doesn't make sense. And, and everyone goes, yes. It's like you, yeah. you, you, you shine a light on the biggest elephant in the room of this issue, right? And now it's almost like a non-issue where I was watching it with my, my, my uh, fiance last night. And she's like, well, yeah, well, she's watching like, yeah, duh, of course, it, of course he's in the issue. I'm like, but 10 years ago, it wasn't that you, I mean, see, you that's, see, that is so cool to say that because when it came out, yeah, a lot of people were like, man, you guys are pretty conspiratorial here. Like it causes this, it killed like, and now when you are saying to see the culture shift that much in 10 years where the first 40 would have been, no one thought like even at the end of the union, most people said they didn't think it would become legal in their lifetime. That was like most people's answer. Right. And now. Canada, you know, the biggest country in the G7 that has fully legalized it federally has shown that the world doesn't fall, right? Like Canada yep. here, it's operating just like liquor. They tax it. They're having little to no problems. Sure, maybe there's some, you know, driving well under the influence situations, no different than alcohol, but, you know, that's things that they have to combat anyway. And we have laws in place to do those. But that's mm. so interesting to hear you say that because when we were first releasing a lot of people were like, oh, man, that's so conspiratorial. And yeah. yeah, when you go back and watch it now, you're like, well, yeah, you tax it, you regulate it, you control it. You can, like, <laughs> like, it, it doesn't seem, I know, but but I, when I got cut off before, but was interesting yeah. is that the reason why Parliament Hill brought it there yeah. is because they'd received thousands and thousands of emails and letters referencing it. Uh. So they said, we have to bring these guys in. And let's not get it twisted. They didn't do it out of the greatness of their hearts just to to bring us in they brought mm -hmm. it in because they're like wow this might be how we get the younger voters to get us in right oh. and i would bet in canada that that is the sole reason justin trudeau and the liberals won because everybody now liberals or conservatives we all seem to not like the current government that i would argue that's the only good thing they've done right but but all that right. was their platform is that we are going to legal and you could hear like and you could see culture, how the internet yeah. stuff does it, but it takes years. Justin would say in interviews, he'd say all the things that the union and the culture I talked about, saying like, actually, if you want to protect children, the way to do that is to regulate it and control it and take it out of the hands. of Like all the things that we had these great professionals that we interviewed for the films talk about, yeah. but in debates years before that, nobody ever said that. Children were the scare story to get you not to legalize it, right? What about the children? You want kids on the street smoking marijuana? We're like, no, that's what they're doing right now. In yep. fact, like most people, when they tried to get marijuana before it was legal, they'd usually go to high schools and ask their kids, be like, hey, do you know anyone that sells weed? Because I'm an adult now. I know where to get it anymore, right? <laughs> the very place we're trying to protect is where people would go to get it. 100%. And also the thing that you're, you're scared to is by creating a black market, you are, you are creating the gateway to other things that they wouldn't 100%. normally expose themselves to it because you now have, you have this association and, and also you have that push away that they're telling me that pot's bad and I know pot's not bad. So they're also telling me heroin's not bad. So the guy who's selling the boat, so you, you have this weird thing by, by, by trying to protect, you actually endanger more. And that, and that is, was, and that I just know from, I grew up around guys that sold yeah. drugs and they, and they didn't, they don't want to keep you, they don't want to keep you on marijuana, like keep you. But I say yeah. marijuana is the profit margins. When you're the guy selling nickel and dime bags, you don't mm. make money there where they make yeah. money is the Coke and the pills yeah. and the stuff that can kill you on one bad dose because 
the profit margins because they, you know, they, they crush the Coke, they powder it down, they mix shit in there. That's where they make the money. Plus, yeah. if you're doing Coke, only lasts for 30 minutes. You can come back like some customers come back six to 10 times a night, right? I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. You buy an eighth of weed, a lot of people are like, I'm good for like a month, right? I'm going to blaze a little bit here, blaze a little bit there. You're not a great client. So, and yeah. that was interesting because that, that what you talk about, that was coming from law enforcement, ex-law enforcement. Like we saw firsthand fighting it, how it did far more damage than it ever did. And he's like, and then the very people you want to take, people are like, well, we need to stop big drug dealers. Of course. Yeah. Those guys can defend themselves in court. The only ones that are actually serving time for minor possession or dealing are the low level guys, right? Primarily minorities because they don't have the economic or social like, you know, background to fight themselves in court. So it's, you know, another minority in an impoverished neighborhood that's trying to make some money to feed his family or her family gets busted. They can't get out. Boom. Then they're done. They got a criminal record. You know, and this is where even the conservatives jumped on because. You're like, well, they should be punished. Just like, okay, but now we're paying for them to be in prison. So a nonviolent offender, you really want to mm -hmm. pay for them for the next five to 10 years. I personally rather have them come back into society and work and earn taxes and contribute to the community. But when you just send them to prison, then they're not doing any, they're making money for the private prisons, but they're not making money. They're not supporting or helping their community at all. And that, and that was one of the things you find out is the private prisons and, and how many got built and, and, and there's basically who's influencing what and what's the motives here? Are we really doing this to heal people or protect people? Or is this a profit driven decision that's allowing you to, to, to actually really, you know, turn, you know, this type of suffering into money alchemy and, yeah. and create a profit for the wrong people. So you, one thing that was amazing and, and what you're looking at this is all this data was out there in different ways, shapes, and forms. And you went out and you harvested it. You actually took this raw ore of material and you refined it into something that was so dense with, with a well-constructed data and arguments and facts and things like that, that was, it became pretty much undeniable and, and spread. And there's a reason why it spread and why so many people quoted it. What, I, what I'm really curious about in terms of structuring the story, in terms of uncovering the data, uh, how did you, how, what did that process look like for you? How were you able to, to, to lay that out in such a, in such a well-constructed way that people were able to cite it to where it, be, it became easily accessible common knowledge today? Like how, how did you make that happen? You know, that I'd have to put all that in director Brett Harvey's wheelhouse, man. He was the magician that, you know, we had little to no money at that time. Yeah. We were like, you know, when we travel on the road, all three of us would stay, stay in the same hotel bed. I'd stay in a little right. cot. Like, you know, the one thing is the internet had just kind of was trying to be used then. It was really, when we were filming early stages of social media, really came out after. Yeah. So we were at least able to, when you found somebody that was, like, had the credentials, we could at least usually go on YouTube and find some clips to see if they were charismatic. If they could, because mm. sometimes you get a great doctor or botanist or someone, but they're so just like, like where if you interview them we're like man no one's yeah. going to and that's just really the magic that brett did is he really put this thing together in an entertaining way that it never bored you it always kept you interested you know there's just enough talking heads and and the old clips which worked were like using these old black and white clips yeah. that were just funny that's because that's all we could afford we had <laughs> clips and stuff right so that was all stuff from like the 30s Too real. fair use that but it worked. That's it what even some of the 
really accredited movie reviewers that would review review our film were like, man, it worked. Like what they use worked. Making these, and Brett scoured hours looking for like a goofy clip of a guy drinking in black and white to be like, what could it be? What could like to show people like the examples of what could we compare it to and. It was really, it, I, I put a lot of like, of course, like mm. we worked our, it took four years from concept to delivery. We originally, wow. thought we gonna, yeah, we originally thought we were going to be done in like six months. Like that just didn't happen because we kept learning about clearances and other people and how to get rights and all these things that you had to learn. We made all the mistakes in our first film. On, and that's why, despite it being this international cult classic, it didn't make money, right? It, it built our careers, but it didn't make money, especially because it was a time where everybody, we didn't even get a distribution deal for like two years, but the film festivals had ripped it off and it was online. Like we we're getting hundreds of emails being like, I've watched this on my dorm. It was amazing. And I'm like, how are you guys all watching this? It's not even out yet. Right? Like, so it, it leaked everywhere. And I didn't understand why all the dorms were reaching out to us until I went to the first dorm and this mm. before smartphones. Right. And I didn't mm. go to college. So mm. I was like, man, why are all these dorms hitting us up? And it's because they would have like one, you know, community TV, and then everybody be on their computers on the internet, right? So uh-huh. everybody would find it on Pirate Bay and everybody, and they'd watch it and then send it to their friends and go from there. And all these schools kept asking us. It's We have never had anything like it with our other films. Like, obviously, our other films were getting better as far as filmmakers and everything goes. Yeah. So we, we, uh, uh, we, so we've now getting big distribution deals and everything, but, but, uh, at the time, like, that's the only one that really found its own grassroots thing and just carried in a way that was like the union a, it, it really was that it just kind of hit social media right facebook was launching and everybody was interested in Facebook. Yeah. kind of hit the zeitgeist in this crazy way well you you hit on something that's really interesting i mean if you ever heard the term called the dharma it's like from the bhagavad gita it's like it's like what is it you love to do with what is the needs of the time and that matches up together to make like your purpose, your meaning, what's going on. And really the, the needs of the time was there was this, there's this huge influx of uh, you know us all, all getting connected and understand that there's this big elephant in the room that no, one's, no one has been able to articulately call out that wasn't discreditable, right? For the most part, most people could discredit, you know, even if someone says, comes on with a, a smart clip for two minutes, right? It, it, it's like, oh yeah, but he's a, a pothead. She's a yeah. this, right? Yeah. Label, identity, label, dismissal. But you construct it, and especially not being, you know, like, you know, smoking weed, pot smokers, Tommy Chong, trying to like pretend or like have an identity associated with it. There was so much data back to back to back. It became unrefutable as, as an information app. And so you, felt- you, you nailed, you nailed it. Like that was, and that was a conscious decision by our team too, as we said, hey guys, if we want to be respected as filmmakers yeah. at that time, like you couldn't come out. Like that's why I was so lucky to get Joe Rogan. He was about one of the only comedian, only celebrities that wasn't just known as like a Tommy Chung that wasn't an activist. Yeah. That was willing to come on camera to talk about it. Cause back then nobody wanted to go on camera and say that they openly admitted smoking marijuana, especially how taboo and you'd lose sponsors and all that stuff back then. Joe was probably the only guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was out of a friend of our Todd McCormick, who's also in the film, said, Joe, you should really do it. These guys are asking the right questions. They're doing it properly. And no one knew Joe would become the global phenomenon he is now. But you could see elements of it in the union and what he articulates 
so well, right? In a matter of fact way, but mm-hmm. still funny with explosiveness and charisma that I remember like you, you would see it in the theaters. We'd watch it with cell screens and you'd be like, and cue the laughs with Joe and one, <laughs> two, three, right? When he talks about nerf the world and yeah. this and that, it was like, you know, the, then the memes and the shirts and that it, it really hit the right way because mm. you would get dismissed like that, but yeah. nobody could dismiss us like that. They couldn't be like, these guys are a bunch of hippies. We're like, no, no, no. We deliberately, we, and trust me, we had a lot of opportunities. We wanted yeah. to smoke with some of our clients, right? But we are always like, we can't, we yeah. have to remain unbiased in this. We have to just show people. I mean, thankfully by the end we did like Dr. Lester Grinspoon, who just passed away last year, rest in peace. Mm. But when we did the culture high and he's like, Hey guys, you guys never smoked. Like I'm the first Ivy league doctor. I was a witness for John Lennon. And we're like, yes, we will take you up on that now because we don't have to be as you know, careful with that. Right. Yeah. But it was, that was the way to dismiss and do that. And it became, that became the film that allowed, I know I had, we received thousands of emails of people saying your film got my parents to apologize to me because they then understood, <laughs> right. They're like, you're, so they're like Sorry, here we are drinking our face off and smoking cigarettes, but we were point the finger at you as like, you're an evil pothead. Right. So it was really the one, it really was yeah. the culture shift. And then that's why we called the next one, the culture high, right? Cause it kind of went a little deeper into the politics yeah. and the internet and the swaying of how that all happens. So it's, uh, it's, it's crazy to reflect on it right now. You're bringing back, mm. it's, it's interesting to see. <laughs> like if you would have told me that the film, I remember people when it first came out, people were like, dude, you're going to, this film's going to get marijuana legalized. And I was like, ah, I don't think so. And Hey, I don't know what percentage it did, but it certainly it, helped the liberals screened both films and two years later they made it they made it federally legal in canada the first large country in the g7 to make it federally legal yeah and i feel the same way looking at looking at how powerful it is i can't point to another thing second of the whole joe rogan and and his and his platform he stood on that i can't think of anything else that is more profound that's got more uh, more emotional impact, more story, more definitive, like what you construct a story that becomes irrefutable, that you look at it and it shifts the culture. And, and one of the things is a lot of people that I, I, I talk to on this podcast and stuff, they're, they're on a mission. They're about to, they're on the, they're, they, they want to do something. They, they want to, they want to change the world. And with your documentary that you, you actually went and Either way, you actually were able to make make that kind of change, and so and to me, I, I'm what I'm curious about. And you've shifted into some other areas, like you know, like that that the feeling of like you you constructed something that actually had a global change. On that, are you are you, you know are you looking to try to do another thing like that? I've seen the the inmate number one. And it's not the same thing. It's still a beautiful heroic story, and we can dive more into that later. But is there another? cultural shift you're trying to make or is that just it just so happened to line up and you weren't really intending for a cultural shift yeah man it just really lined up because i and i don't know and that's what people have asked like hey how come you haven't done in our business we kind of call it we call it a, a call to arms documentary right like mm. why haven't you done another one and i'm like well that was just one that we connected with and that was because i grew up in you know in a town where that's what like you you either had family that had some kind of family business they grew up in Kelowna BC Canada small town there's not a lot of industry jobs mainly tourism yeah. jobs that you either had old money like an old law firm or, or insurance company or property or you know a lot of the young guys like they grew cannabis and like they had the Harleys and the building yeah. it was just so entrenched in our culture that I was so connected to it that I was like well man I could do something mm-hmm. on that 
it had happened. Uh, I'm not saying I never would. I'd have to find yeah. something that I was equally as passionate about. And again, like I wasn't an activist or anything, just as we stumbled into this, originally it was meant to be just something cool, like supersize me. Yeah. And then we kept finding like, you know, we're like, what? Nobody's actually ever died from cannabis directly. We're like, no, that's gotta be wrong. That's a hippie saying that. And then you'd look and you'd be like, uh, well, no, like driving under the influence, but no, like I smoked weed and my heart exploded. And we're like, yeah. and I was like, I was always brought up to think like people were dying all the time, right? Like yep. all these things mm. where it was like, what? And then as you got in and then you learned the history and you follow the business and you're like, whoa and then like and you hear this a lot now when people go back and watch the union and then they look at current politics and everything today and they're like i remember people saying i don't i didn't just learn about cannabis adam i really learned about human nature and our mm. culture and how if we can be duped so much on something that's so obvious what are yeah. other things that we're not even looking into right and that yeah. was the one that and the interesting thing when you reflect on it now is i remember even people that would be hugely against it would then like there would be arguments like i said it was so well put together by brett that they'd be like well i don't agree with the legalized but yeah you know like the fact that like you know molesters and violent offenders are getting lesser sentences than drug offenders like you'd always have one part of the argument that people would be like well, I, I i didn't know that and that's crazy and i didn't know that and that's like there might be elements that they really got them to start thinking and that's what a great documentary does right even if you don't agree if it makes you think if it makes you start going afterwards being like, well, they've got to be lying. I want to prove that wrong. Great. Because now you're diving in and looking and you'd be like, man, they were right about that. They're right about that too. Right. They start digging in and doing their own research and going into it. And that was the beauty of it. It wasn't a, I'm an activist. I'm right. You're wrong. You're so dumb. It was a process of discovery that you led us along a journey of uncovering and discovering the actual myths that are around this 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 whole taboo subject that were like really and then what really and you could see this 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 grand evolution of of just like the 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 idiocracy of like this whole culture thing and like and how something weird that can happen 70 80 years ago it still lingers through our culture and even though it doesn't serve us it's just like this we it's like you know like a pancreas or something that we don't we evolved with but it serves no purpose and like why do we even have that anymore so it was incredible to see you nailed it and that and that's where i don't know like if we had another thing like that where yeah. we could go into it and discover yeah. that's what made the, the the union so special right even now when we're talking almost two decades later that it's still uh uh you know a really powerful film is because we went in eyes wide shut. We didn't know, we didn't have our conclusion. And I remember people didn't like our ending. We had other filmmakers saying, you can't say, you can't say the only thing that makes sense is none of this makes any sense. And we have more questions. You have to take a stance. And we argued and we're like, no, we are not going to take a stance. That's what we don't mm -hmm. like about other films saying that we need to do this or you need to do this. You don't need to do anything. You came on a ride with us. We went on the same ride you did as filmmakers. We'd go through and be like, what? We'd interview this Harvard doctor and be like, what? We do all this and be like, what? I didn't know that. And like you said, it kept building even for us. And it's cool that you you took that from it and it captured that because that's what it was. Like as we kept going through it, it just kept being like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And we shared that on screen. I think that's why the union will probably always be talked. Probably no matter how many films I do, it'll be like, that will be the one where it's like, you know, Adam and Brett Harvey and their team, like that is their definitive, like almost hall of fame film that got them in recognition. It's like a, it's like a hit song from a band, right? Like you, yeah. you'll love the other songs, but you want to go back and see that hit because it, it has an emotional impact. And also like in terms of relatability 
um, you know, and, and feeling that suppression. And there's a lot of like weird cultural shame and guilt and like you're bad you're a you're a you know you're a lazy whatever all the the societal things that get placed upon it that you're trying to shake loose for no for no reason right you know and and so it, i just felt like there's a deep emotional connection to it but you made something that we we love and, and your other documentaries are great and so like i mean the the latest one that i watched and it, it's you can you can feel a similar style but it, it you can tell it's you you've evolved as as people that create and produce these films and these documentaries um and it still had a you know a crazy story uh you know comes full circle it still had this like rising up especially for uh, latino people that are that you know that may not have a way and 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 you paint the path so it's it, it i think it still have an impact but especially on that culture versus like the global culture of people that that imbibe in marijuana or, or have some sort of connection in in the industry uh the union but it, you you've, you've been able to evolve a long time so yes people are gonna rate unfortunately yes you made it you made a big hit and people are gonna reference it forever and you're like but i made this new one they're like yes and that other one was awesome so you're like <laughs> but i want to play my new hits be like okay great can we, can we talk about the old hits too um and, so and we will never get tired of doing it like i appreciate it it just it's actually nice to go down memory lane with you and yeah. really kind of think about because you know we all struggle we were so broke putting that together yeah. and like you know, like, and I always talk about it this way, like my daughter wasn't even thought of when we started that film and she was two mm. and a half when it was done. Right. So wow. it was a process. Right. And we were broke and people thought I was crazy, including my stepdad who put a whole bunch of money in. They were kind of, he was kind of like, well, Adam, this is going to be your inheritance. Right. Like, cause I had already spent my money. Like oh. I think in total, we spent like 350,000 with no guarantees. Wow. We're make, with no guarantees. We're going to make any money back. Right. Like it was just like, this could get nothing. Thankfully, we finally did get a distribution deal and it did. It was able to pay back like 80% of my dad's loan and the rest he kind of forgave. He's like, Adam, he's like, that was cheaper than college. You never went to college. So that let's call that your film college fund. I'm like, perfect, right? Like it, it ended deal. up being. So I don't, I totally, I'm proud of it. I love going and reflecting through it and thinking about yeah. everything we went through because it really prepared us now. Like, after everything we went through with that one, like having a film that made a global impact, became a cult classic, went way over budget. We originally budgeted 150000 It was $200,000 more than that. People thinking we were crazy. I was working three jobs and still trying to do that. And everybody's like, Adam, give the film thing up. You need to just, and like, you know, they didn't get to see it for like two, two and a half, three years. People are like, what is this thing you keep spending all this money on? We can't even see it. Like, this is crazy. Like, you're nuts. You're putting all this money. Like, like a lot of people thought we were crazy. Like my wife and my family were the only ones that kept supporting me. But I mean, a lot of people around me were probably like, man, he needs to just get a real job, get on with life. He can't keep doing this. Right. And now people are kind of like, oh man, like I've followed you forever. Right. Like you, <laughs> yeah, you have no idea what I went through to get there. Oh, man. Like, How trust me, me and my, me and my wife probably almost split up mm. at the time because we just had my daughter. I remember having like negative $400 in my account. My daughter's oh, a month old. I'm broke. Yeah. I'm looking at myself like, man, I envision myself to have like, you know, be successful and have money mm -hmm. in the account when my first child was born. I'm so broke. I'm working three jobs. All my spare money and time goes into this thing that I have no idea if it's ever even going to get released or do anything. Like there's lots of times where you start to second guess yourself and think you're crazy, right? And think yeah. that you're on the wrong path. So I understand when people are creating, but you, you know, and it, 
it's tough because it could have gone the other way. It could have yeah. gone the other way where this maybe didn't get released and maybe a few people saw it at festival and it never, and then I spent all this money like, and I like bankrupted my family and looked like a crazy person. It could have gone that way. Yeah. Thankfully, I'd like to think that that's where my sk- skills came in as a producer and a creative hustler that like losing, like in the Eminem song when he's like, failure was not an option. Like yeah. I lost years of my life thinking like, my poor dad believed in me. I looked in his hand. I shook his hand, looked at his eyes, shook his hand, said, I'm going to pay you back every dollar. And we got close, right? Mm. To where he could live with a little bit. He's like, hey, Adam, like, I was expecting to get none of it back. And the fact that you got, like, it took you <laughs> seven years, but, hey, you got it back, right? Like, yeah. Well, that's beautiful. How have you How have you leveraged that? Like, so there's a feeling, like, I mean, it's where you, you – there's something about this creative process where you're, it's almost like you're going into a tunnel. Right. And then you you lose the light and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this tunnel. If there's an if there's a, if there's a light at the end of this tunnel and then you're able to pull through on this. How have you leveraged that as as there is there internal feelings that you've had with other documentaries, other sensations or things like that to be able to to use the the the, the pit that you went through on this experience and and to be able to find other moments with other documentaries where you could you could you could cling to that old experience and leverage that into other areas do you have any situations like that where you've been able to like yes, no yeah i mean it's kind of like that you know when you, you when, if you come from a rough upbringing and then they are able to have success hmm. when you get older you're able to reflect and be like thank you that i had those to give me the tools to overcome adversity and challenges to be hmm. able to handle anything that comes in my way now and as yeah. parents, we're having a problem with this with our kids, where society's a little bit easier, I'd say, overall around, right, where we helicopter yeah. our kids too much. And then they don't have adversity. And like, by the time they're 20, they don't even know how to run a bank account because their phone's been paid for and everything's been, like, we want to do so much for our kids and offer them a better life. But in doing so, part of making them a good person and able to overcome things is that struggle, that inner turmoil, overcoming things. But of course, we don't want to put too much on our kids. So... I would say that's what kind of happened with the film. I look back now and I'm like, thank God. Because after doing that, after boring all that money, doing it on marijuana, your first film in the documentary space at a time when like documentaries, like it's insane. If I look back at it now, like not knowing the end result, I'd be like, oh, like at my age now, that's crazy. Like you're going to lose your shirt, right? And I I think back about all the people that gave me opportunities, like my sales agent, these people believed and they saw some kind of passion at the table, right? And obviously it always has to be educated passion. Like there's a lot of people that have passion and I'll always take open calls from filmmakers and stuff when they do this. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing I always direct them is I was like, hey, you've got great passion. I love, but you need to harness this into a business plan. Because even back then we didn't do it right. That's what got my dad and other people's like, we had, we didn't even know what it was at the time, but we put together a proposal that looked like a pitch deck to look what we were making. We had a website when that was a big thing for a doc. A lot of doc, like now that seems, I don't seem so serious to be like a website. And we were on Facebook right away. We were on MySpace for those. Ahead of your time, that man. Is, right? Like we were on all those things, right? Early on so that we could show mm. people something. So it wasn't just this crazy idea. We could harness it. We could put it in front of business people and say, here's what we're doing. Here's all the people following. Here's the track record. Here's the audience. Here's these things, right? Things that we could put in a tangible way. So it really prepared us now. Like now I just learned with every film, there's going to be a challenge. Like whether you're dealing with talent and their agents and managers are a pain 
or if the talent themselves has a big ego or if there's financial hurdles or if you have overages the union and all the struggles really prepared me now like some people are just like we came from this last shoot we're shooting with, with we partnered with the rocks company seven bucks oh. crazy oh, nice. right like my kids yeah. are like what the <laughs> so we partnered with them on our newest one uh-huh. about bodybuilder phil heath because he's a client of theirs oh and cool okay yeah we traveled through you know we're traveling during covid which made everything more difficult we had flights canceled we had to drive all the, over the country and then driving there's a huge accident on the highway we're stuck on the highway for 21 hours we didn't move for 10 and we had to get to ronnie coleman to interview him and then we had a false positive of our director when we we're interviewing kai green and steve oh, weinberger no, no. and we had to do it via zoom like and everybody was like, Adam, they're like, we've had some of the other producers when you're not able to come and you were just so calm. And I was like, dude, I've been through <laughs> everything now where it's just like, oh, these are the problems and challenges of today. And this mm-hmm. is this project's challenges. And tomorrow there'll be. And then one of our guys got held by the Great Wall of Canada when he came back. They let three of us get exemptions. They put our other guy in the quarantine jails. Like they put wow. like they're just every day was just like everybody's like, Adam, how do you? I'm like, man, I've been through so much from the union being so broke where like I'd be embarrassed. Like people invite me out to speak and I couldn't even afford to like eat. I'd kind of be like, oh, I'll just eat later. Like I didn't even have like 20 bucks. I was waiting for them to pay me my appearance fee just to be able to speak. And like, you know, I'd be like, oh, can you pay for my my flight on like to get there? Like so broke to where, you know, now it's like, oh, I'm like, oh, we're over by 80,000. I'll find it. I'll figure it out. Right. Like I'll talk to our investors. Like just nothing yeah. now. Like, of course I, I'm not, I'd be lying if I say it doesn't still cause stress. Yeah. And I know that if I tackle it, I can overcome it now. Like I know yeah. that it is just another hurdle that's in the way. And like anything in life, if you want to really be successful, whatever it is, make films, be a lawyer, be a doctor, there is going to be hurdles. You're going to have family issues, health issues, financial issues. Those just come. That's just yeah. part of everything. Right. And yeah. That's such a sign. It's such a sign of a, a person on a path, right? So if you look at and you look at the hero, the hero's journey, and and you look at like the threshold guardians. I mean, you've had so many threshold guardians as you're trying to make this film that you've gone through that that loop. That you look back at that and you've got you're making another loop, right? You pick another documentary and you're like, oh, these things are nothing. Like you're talking about, you know, messaging the CEO or the creator of Kickstarter, doing this. Like that is straight. Nothing's gonna stop me. I'm on a mission and, and, and there's nothing that's really what it it sounds like there is like a disattachment from like, like this ego kind of like, I can't do this and this is too hard and I'm going to fail. There's nothing about that because you have, you have this, the feeling I'm getting is a deep seated belief that yes, this does suck, but I'll figure it out. And that, that embracing removes the suffering part of the sucking. Well, that's why I put, that's why I put in my, if you saw my, my signature, I put creative hustler. Somebody called me yeah. that once. They're like, oh man, Adam, he's a creative hustler. You're, you're going to, he will get it done. He's the guy. And then I just coined that phrase and I put it in and people are like, you put hustler in your thing. I'm like, it gets people talking. People are like, oh, you call yourself a creative hustler. Eh? I'm like, yep. By hook or by crook, I'll get it done. I always deliver. I'm not going to be like, oh, I can't yeah. get it done. Like you see all those expressions you hear be like, you know, excuses are for the ones who don't succeed. And you see all these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to like, I'm a guy, man, I barely got through high school. I'm not like a classically trained, really, really highly educated degree. Like I just, I'd rather stumble, fall, break my nose, which I've had done six times, break my job, which I've had to, and get through it. 
and figure yeah. out a way than, than to go to my family or to people and say, I failed, I can't do it. Whereas yeah. it's weird. When I was a kid and I played sports and I got hard, I quit right away. I, just, ah, I can't do it. This sucks. Ah. I don't know what changed. I couldn't think of a defining, a defining moment when that switched. My head maybe is when I had like my daughter and I didn't want to fail and I borrowed all this money and my dad had trusted me and it just, it seemed like the world would end if I didn't pay him back. Although it wouldn't, but in my head it did. And a little thing my, my, my stepdad taught me that I, I, I use every week. Now, there's still, every week, there's calls I don't want to do. There's emails I don't want to do. There's things that are always much harder. And we put that resistance on the situation more than it usually is. And my dad told me, he's like, Adam, if you want to be successful, my stepfather was really, really successful. He was the president of Cameron Oil Industries. He's the one that financed the union and still even interim finances my pre-sales and my films now. Um, he mm. goes, Adam, what I used to do is if that something was really bugging me all weekend, a weight on my shoulder, some resistance, a call I was scared to do, a report I was scared to tackle, uh, you know, a bure bureaucratic mm. document I didn't want to ch do, challenge myself to do. I would go into my office and I'd tackle that first thing. Because once that's done, then the rest of the week's like, oh, <laughs> I can pick Andre Giant over my head now. I'm ready, right? And I can say mm. this after my dad said this, or if it's a call you're dreading or whatever it is you don't want to deal with like sometimes we deal with the talent we deal with agents again man. like whatever pick up that phone 98 percent of the time it's not nearly as bad as what you perceive it's going to be in your head i yeah. and I, I and even even when another call comes up i got one this week or i'm like oh, i really don't want to do that one and then i'm like adam do the thing get it done get it out of the way go over it and like, and dude, I did like three last week and each one, I'm like, this was so much easier than I was putting it in my head. It was, it was a cakewalk. Like it was fun. It was almost yeah. like hugged through the phone. I'm like, why was I dreading that so bad? But knock it's that a out. And then it feels like, then all of a sudden you're like, man, I've never been on a 5k run, but I think I'm going to go do that next. I think I'm ready. Right? Like you just feel <laughs> it's that momentum. Yeah. You feel like you can. And I, and I tell my daughter this and I tell my son, I'm always like, man, Get those out of the way. I I used that's what I used to do a lot when I was younger. I'd procrastinate like crazy, and I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off to the last minute till things were horrible. And then, you know, I I got over that, and then you know, found like from this advice from my dad, being like, tackle it first, get it out of the way, and it's not as bad as you. The resistance you put on it will be preventing you from succeeding far more than the situation itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a thing that happens that there's a thing you know you need to do, but you don't want to do it. And so you're like, I won't do it today. And then that weight stacks for the next day. And you have shame and guilt that basically multiply that effort. And then you're basically training yourself because now you've got this, this, you know, a week's worth of shame of guilt of not knowing to do the thing. And then and then it becomes too much. And then you're training yourself. Oh, I'm just going to avoid that. And instead of instead of processing, like processing emotion where you sit with your emotion and you just marinate with it and you desensitize to it, you, 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 you compound it. And so that's an amazing, if you could, you know, you know, wave a magic wand to a young, uh, a young documentary maker and, and give them one skill set, would it be to, to be able to say, Hey, big thing first, wave a wand, just do it. And just yeah, it would be that the two things in specifically yeah. like that, I think can work at anything in life tackle mm. what you're and there's a great book it's one of the few i've read i don't read a lot of books i should read a lot more sure. i read research on my docs but i don't read books yeah the war of art talk right and then how you will make and you just said it perfectly there like 
your dream is there. Your dream, whatever it is, you want to be a professional podcaster, you want to make films, you want to be an athlete. You will literally put everything in front of that. You're like, okay, well, I'll I'll get my proposal done for my film right after I do the dishes and I clean the house. <laughs> and like, when do you ever want to do the dishes and clean the house? You normally yeah, never. But now, when the thing that you know could yeah. change your life or to that next step, you're putting all these things in front of it. Yeah. Right. And that is, I remember reading that in the book and they say it's resistance a, can a be in, in many forms. Some people call it the devil. Some people call it, you know, laziness or procrastination. It can be whatever you manifest it, but resistance will always be there. Just the best, like athletes find a way that I was reading recently, especially with COVID, how the biggest struggle with competitive athletes right now is how to make things interesting because redundancy and repetitiveness of great athletes, they have to practice stuff all the time. Like my daughter plays competitive hockey and it's hundreds of shots every day, stick handling. That's boring, right? Yeah. Like how, how fun can you make just shooting all day or stick and or dribbling over and over and over again, but you have to find a way, right? You have to find a way to overcome that resistance and do it. And that's what I found. Like, it, and I'm, I'm saying, I still work on it. I'm not just yeah. saying I got it figured out. Like there's still days when I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to do that call. It's going to suck. Like, you know, like even times like, look, one of our, I just worked with Michael Bisping, who's now become my homie. He's a great guy. Oh, that's cool. But you know, there was, there's at times of the doc where he was really mad about how things were going. He's like, you need to call me. And like, you're calling a world champion, right? And you're like, Ugh, I don't really like it when he's mad. I got to call him. <laughs> get it, right. And like, you know, and, and dude, but now again, I would go and, and 90% of the time, like, dude, Bisping's a wicked guy. He's super witty and charismatic and funny and huge heart and caring. And you'd get on with them and you'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe I was dreading going to talk to him so much. Like I, he almost made me cry and I want to hug him and his wife through the phone. Like, oh yeah. You have to, oh, his family is amazing. Like if you were not a Bisbing fan before his documentary, mm. you 100% will be afterwards because there's, there's a Rocky move. There's the Rocky movies, which we all grew up on. If you're my yeah. age, that's like every boy yeah. I think was in front of the TV pretending get rock and doing the punches. Bisbing is the real life Rocky, only he over even more than Rocky. That, the injuries that he used to come, the injuries he had to overcome, the reveals in the film, the guys that were all testing positive for steroids that he fought, his story is incredible. Incredible. That right there makes me want to go watch it. Just that that connection. These Bisbing is a real life Rocky. I mean, and that's the thing. It's it's so funny because you know, again, this whole this whole podcast is about heroes of reality. It's understanding people's journeys that they go on. And, and no one, you're right. No one is, you know, they're not necessarily, you don't successful people are like, Oh, they're smarter. They're better. They're a super alien, like Elon Musk. That's not true. It's just, they went on the path and they found a way not to quit, which is what you're referencing here. One thing I'd like to talk about, cause you, I mean, documentaries, anything you do, it's going to be a grind. You can find the greatest things in the world. It can be, it becomes a grind. How do you choose documentaries how did you the the uh the the union was something that you chose because you had this you you were surrounded by this what what tools do i have at my disposal there's a story here now now that that's out of the way how, and you have more options how do you choose these things because you know it's a grind you know what you're into so so now looking off of like you know when i'm trying now to go on the path of least resistance and a lot of things so yeah things i look at first is who is the end like because we're doing a lot of bio docs and sport docs and i love those because they're mm. a great journey and a great you know espn 30 for 30 really showed people that you don't have to have any interest in the sport if it's a great hero's journey you're going to connect with it regardless if it's in bodybuilding or basketball or yeah. hockey or 
fencing, right? If it's a cool story. So then once you kind of find something that I know is marketable, mm. when it has a big built-in social media following or a niche following or something that I know I can take to market and get pre-sold, get our financing in place, then it's like, do they have that story outside of the sport that the average person can connect to, right? And then, you know, the third thing is meeting them and right, and what are they like? Because, you know, we've had a, some talent that's really difficult to work with and then other talent that are awesome. So at this point in my career, because I'm 40 and I'm kind of like, man, I want all the three. I want a really compelling story. I want them to be really awesome to work with. Uh, and I want it to be commercially successful so that, you know, I don't, I don't want to go through remortgaging my house and being so broke that I don't know if it's like, I'm done, do knows, right? That's, I think, yeah. you do at the beginning of your career. Now I do the safe, like, commercial bet. But it's really meeting the talent, seeing if they have a story outside of it. Like, you know, we're we're in talks with Dolph Lundgren and Dane Cook and Danny Trey, who obviously, and, like, Bisbings is releasing. They're all like, do they have a story that the regular person can connect to outside of whatever mm. sports or celebrity status they've got that people will be like, wow, that's interesting, and, and, and I getting to be like, if I'm interested now, like if I'm in years of my life in, I want to be interested in your story. If I'm not, thankfully I'm in a position that it's not just about the money. I'm not going to do it. Right. Like yeah. if you don't have something that I really find compelling and am inspired by, I'm not going to do it. Right. So, Which is, which is a wonderful way to think about it. And I mean, looking at the lessons learned, I mean, the, um, the union was something that was, it was a compelling story. Um, and it, it, could have been a market success, but it was one of those, you know, blackballed, passed around the internet, get you, get you famous. You created value in other ways, um, in terms yeah. of name recognition and stuff like that. But I love it. I mean, simply put, if uh, young documentary um, film creators or anybody in this space is like, is there a compelling story? Do I like the people? And is there a market niche that I can pre-sell this to to prove that there's there's its viability? That seems like a, a very healthy because if you if you move, don't forget the passion. You have to be passionate about it. Yeah. You hit all the. But if you're, because the mm. passion, the passion will help you get through the dark moments or the challenge moments, right? If you're not passionate about it, you'll put it on that back burner. Like we talked about, the resistance might overtake you, right? So it's yeah. good to have that passion to help you through those moments. That's beautiful. And, and it's a fantastic, like, fact check. Okay, I'm interested. This is a compelling story. I like these people and there's market success opportunity. And then putting that together, would that be kind of, if you're talking about putting together a pitch deck for a, uh, a young person who's like, I want to make this thing about, I don't know, goldfish or insert thing. Yeah. Um, would they put together a pitch deck with it? Would it include like those types of elements in there? Like, and, yeah. and just, so yeah. What we usually do with pitch decks for ducks is lots of visuals, cool quotes mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately when you're meeting with a distributor or broadcaster, they're yeah. not going to read everything while you meet them. Then they're going to say, hey, send this to me digitally, and then they'll read it, right? So you want the yeah. opening image to be beautiful. You want the opening, then your opening page with a powerful quote and cool stylized photos and the color schemes and the styles that you want to kind of make the film feel like because you're trying to sell it to business people, not creatives, right? So they need to get feel and tone. And and it, just like anything else in life, like, I always tell people, they'll come with these like pitch books that they put together on a weekend. And I'm like, I can tell you rush this. I'm like, think about it. If this is your passion project and this is something you really want to do, um, why would you rush it, right? If you're going to go try to raise millions of dollars, would you rush it and just put it together quickly? Or would you really put together the time to do it, right? Those are elements you need to do. I tell people, don't rush it because this is your pitch. This might be your only chance to get to Netflix. And they better be so impressed with your pitch material that they want to buy it on the spot. Because if it looks like you just put it together on the weekend, they'll be able to tell and they'll throw it out the door too. Yeah. That's powerful. Right, so my boy, my boy coming back from kickboxing. Now. Oh, 
Okay, okay. Sorry, my boys are. So yeah, you see my oh, hey, here in the back now. Hey, everybody, yeah, I know you got. Um, that's epic. Um, I know, I know you got to run. Uh, you, uh, you. Thank you so much. I, I, I see everyone's coming together here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to get a chance, and we'll, we'll wrap this up here. Um, but because uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the inmate, but I know you're, you're taking off right now. Um, it's very powerful. I love these stories of, of the, the human story that you tell and the way that you, you put them together um, in this format. Um, but I know we're coming to the end. You're, you, you've been great with your time. Is there is there anything else you'd like to let us know about um, before um, you let people know about how they can get a hold of you and and find more about what you do? Much like the uh, the inmate number one that that just came out that was awesome. Oh, it came out uh, last year, but it's I uh, would love to. Uh, any last words you'd like to say before we wrap this up? Sure. So yeah, I mean, people can check out Danny Trey's story. It's incredible. Uh, you know, yeah. he should have been executed in Soledad Prison in 1968. Around to be one of the most successful Mexican American actors in Hollywood history and does so much outside of acting. Uh, inmate number one, The Rise of Danny Trey is available on almost all platforms except streaming, still on order because it's the universal release. And then Bisbing, the Michael Bisbing story will be coming out this fall. If you're in Canada, it's available on Super exclusively right now. Uh, um, and then we have Breaking Olympia about Phil Heath, the bodybuilder, which we partnered with Seven Bucks for the Rocks Company, which will be coming out uh, so probably cool. early next year, which that in itself was pretty cool, right? To be able to partner with, like when they did the big press release and people were like, dude, you partnered with him? And I was like, I know, right? Like pinch myself moment. I'm still this. <laughs> yeah. And then if, if you want to reach out to me, as you saw, Dylan, you reached, I'm pretty approachable. I'm on, I'm on yeah. Instagram. It's just score G. Like I always put it, how it sounds, right? Score like a goal score with a G. G. And then on Twitter, I'm Adam score G. Facebook, I might be maxed out, but you can message me on there. I've been an old school dog on Facebook. I was on there since like 2006 when like nobody was really using it. So it's still kind of my go-to. Uh, reach out and I, I'm, I'm always trying to get back to filmmakers and give them pointers and help where I can. I believe in paying it forward and I've had it pay back several times where I've helped people on their projects and asking for nothing and then they've gotten financed on things down the road and brought me in as a consultant. So I'm happy. I am busy, as you saw. Like even now, I'm multitasking with kids mm -hmm. and stuff on the go. It's it's uh, it's what I do. But I am pretty good at getting back. Dylan, as you know, you you yeah. reached out and I got back and we set up a time and uh, and thank no. you. I really mean it. Thank you for having me on. It's there's lots of people you can reach out to nowadays. I love doing podcasts. It's almost like therapeutic for me to kind of go through this and rehash memories of how it all went through and help me to just to kind of appreciate what I've accomplished. We get so caught up in what's next and how to get further and how to keep crushing goals that it's nice to do these podcasts and for me to kind of reflect on what we've already accomplished. If I, if me and my team don't do anything more from here, we should be pretty happy with ourselves. Although I do plan to do lots more. Absolutely, brother. No, this is, it's been an honor and a pleasure. And I just, I, I just love to, to watch you uh, in your craft and find your work and be on your mission and, and being able to share these stories and find these stories and inspire other people um, along these paths as well, whether they're in bodybuilding or hockey or they're a Mexican immigrant that want to be film stars. There's so many different stories that can inspire the next generation to be better. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the hustle and the grind and, and all that you do, brother. And uh, have a beautiful rest of the day with your fam. And, uh, and I'll, be, I'll see you soon in, in the digital landscape. So have a beautiful, blessed day. I'll see you soon, Thanks Adam. you too. We should do this again. 100%, brother. Have a beautiful day. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. 
While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.